Our topic for tonight is mysteries of Bible prophecy. Mysteries, we like them, don't we? Mystery movies, mystery books, mystery stories, mysterious places, and there are a number of mysterious places in the world. There's those mystery cities high up in the mountains of the Andes. How'd they get there? Who built them? And then there is other mysteries, such as the mystery of Stonehenge in England. There's those mysterious heads in Easter Island. Why are they there? And then there are other mysteries, such as the mystery of King Tut. We're going to study that mystery in this series, aren't we, son? That's right. And there's a mystery right here in the Philippines, the mystery of Yamashita's gold. They haven't found it yet, or have they? Some say they have. There are mysteries in the Bible itself. The Bible is the world's most popular book, best-selling book, but probably the most misunderstood book in the world as well, and it's got many mysteries. Most people have a Bible, and few people read the Bible, and even fewer people actually understand the Bible. Have you ever read the Bible and you couldn't understand what you were reading, maybe in a prophetic part of the Bible? That's happened to me sometimes, son. Yes. And when you study prophecy, especially those books like Daniel and Revelation with all those mysterious symbols, that can be perplexing. But in this Prophecies of Hope program, we're going to unlock many of those mysteries in Bible prophecy. In fact, we're going to be studying from the books of Daniel and Revelation. Revelation's got a lot of mysterious symbols in it. That's right. There is, in fact, a mysterious woman sitting on a beast with seven heads and ten horns. Revelation 17. And then there's a woman in Revelation chapter 12 standing on the moon, clothed with the sun. And there's a dragon that wants to devour her child as soon as it's born. We'll study that mystery also. And then there is the mystery of three mysterious angels that fly in the midst of heaven with a special message for the world at end time. We'll be studying that message. Have you heard about the mystery of 666? That's in the book of Revelation. The beast that has the mark. You can read that in Revelation 13, verses 1 and 18. So to sort of whet your appetite tonight, let's read that. Revelation 13, verse 1, John says, And I stood upon the sand of the sea and saw a beast rise up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and upon his horns ten crowns, and upon his heads the name of blasphemy. That sounds kind of mysterious, but we're going to look at that mystery later. Let's read verse 18. Verse 18 says, Here is wisdom. Let him that has understanding count the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man, and his number is 666. What is that? Well, we'll study that in the future. That is 666, and we're going to look at that in one of our future topics. So you can understand that Revelation is a mysterious book. And because it's a mysterious book, some people are afraid of the book. That's right. Some people say you cannot understand Revelation, that it's a closed book. Is it a closed book, son? Well, let's see what the book itself says. We'll read from Revelation 1, verse 1. The Bible says, The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him, to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. And he sent and signified it by, by his angel unto his servant 
John. This is called a revelation. What's revelation mean, son? Well, revelation, that means to open, to reveal like you would open up a door. If I were to tell you I'm going to reveal to you how old I am, you would think maybe I would tell you what my birthday is, how many years I've lived. Well, Father, will you make that revelation tonight? <laughs> no, I don't think I'm going to reveal that. Okay. That's a secret. But this is a, a revelation, and it's a revelation of who? Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ revealed. In Revelation, you find Jesus Christ revealed, but on the other hand, you have the Antichrist exposed. Do you think, my friends, that the devil wants Jesus revealed and Antichrist exposed? I don't think so. No. This book is a revelation of Jesus Christ. And since it's a revelation of Jesus Christ, we don't have to be afraid of studying this book. You don't have to be afraid of the last book of the Bible, the apocalyptic book of Revelation. There's actually a blessing pronounced upon those who study this book. You can read that blessing in verse 3. Revelation 1, verse 3, mark that in your notes. The Bible says, Blessed is he that reads, and they that hear the words of this prophecy, and keep those things which are written therein, for the time is at hand. There's a blessing to those who read a blessing to those who hear, but there's a special blessing to those who keep. It's not enough to read. We must heed the message of Revelation. We must follow its teachings. But is there another book in the Bible, son, that's also full of symbols? Oh, yes. That is the book of Daniel. Daniel and Revelation are two great prophetic books of the Bible filled with mysterious symbols. Take, for example, our four beasts that was on the flyer. These are mysterious beasts, the lion with eagle's wings, the leopard with four heads and four wings. We'll study these beasts in a future topic. But you find them described here in the book of Daniel. And then you find this mysterious metallic man made of different metals and this rock that comes and smashes the image down. That's Daniel 2. We'll be looking at that tonight. But before we go there, Father, we want to ask this question. How shall we interpret or understand the symbols of prophecy? Son, there are two principles to correctly understand prophecy. And we're going to invite our guests here to mark down these two principles. If you're taking notes, mark them down. Number one, we must allow the Bible to be its own interpreter. And a text for that is 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 20 which says no prophecy of the Scripture is to be of a private interpretation. In other words, it's not up to me or to you or some church to interpret prophecy. We have to let the Bible interpret its own prophecies. And then the second principle, we must compare Scripture with Scripture to understand Scripture. And a text for that is Isaiah 28, verses 9 and 10, which says, line upon line, precept upon precept, here a little, there a little. It's sort of like putting a puzzle together. When you get all the pieces connected, then you have a clear picture of the, what the puzzle's showing. And it's the same in Bible prophecy. When you get all the pieces put together, you have a clear picture of the truth from God's Word. Those are the two principles we're going to use as we study Bible prophecy and the Prophecies of Hope program. So, with that background, let's launch into Prophecies of Hope. We're going to start tonight 
in the book of Daniel. We're going to look at a prophecy that lays the foundation for many of the other prophecies in the Bible. This prophecy we find in Daniel chapter 2, an ancient king's dream. It describes over 14 different empires, takes us back over a span of 2,500 years, and provides us with one of the greatest evidences that God knows the future. So let's travel back in our imagination 2,500 years ago to the ancient city of Babylon. And back then, Babylon was the center, so to speak, of the ancient world there in the Middle East. It was a great superpower back then. Babylon is mentioned six times in Revelation. Six. Is that an interesting number? Yes. And we're going to find out actually 666 had its origins in Babylon. We'll study that in a future topic. The king ruling Babylon back then was a king called Nebuchadnezzar. One night while he was laying in his bed thinking perhaps about the future of his empire, God gave him a prophetic dream that outlined the history of the great empires of the world from his day all the way down to the end of time. But when he awoke, he couldn't remember a thing of what he dreamed. Did that ever happen to you? You had a vivid dream, and then as soon as you woke up, you immediately forgot everything you dreamed? That's happened to me. Yes, it happened to Nebuchadnezzar. And so Nebuchadnezzar, as the story goes, called in his wise men, his astrologers, but they couldn't help him. Finally, Daniel was called. Let's read it from Daniel 2, 27 and 28. You can mark that in your notes. Actually, beginning with verse 26, Daniel 2, 26 through 28, the Bible says, The king answered and said to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, Daniel was his Hebrew name, Belteshazzar was his Babylonian name, Art thou able, are you able to make known unto me the dream which I have seen and the interpretation thereof? Can you tell me what I dreamed in my bedroom last night? Notice Daniel's modest answer. Verse, the next verse. Daniel answered in the presence of the king and said, The secret which the king hath demanded, cannot the wise man, the astrologers, the magicians, the soothsayers show unto the king? They don't know the future. And the fact is they don't know it any better today. But, the next verse says, but. But there is a God in heaven that reveals secrets and makes known to the king Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days, the last days. There is a God in heaven. Skeptics might challenge that. The scoffers might deny that. Sometimes you might question when it seems like all the bad things are happening, where's God? But you can know the Bible says there is a God in heaven. We're going to see the evidence for that in our study this evening. And that God reveals secrets. What's what? the greatest secret, son? Well, the greatest secret is the future. What's going to happen to me and what's going to happen to you immediately in the future, tomorrow? We don't even know if we'll be alive tomorrow. Of course, we plan to be. We plan to be back here tomorrow night. But none of us know the future. Only God knows the future. And the Bible tells us in Amos 3, 7. If you're taking notes, you can add that to your notes. Amos 3, 7 Surely the Lord God will do nothing except he reveals his secrets unto his servants, the prophets. And we're going to see that illustrated here in Daniel chapter 2 tonight. Let me back up for just a moment. It says, 
this dream has something to do with the latter days or the last days. Let me ask, how many of you believe we're living in the last days? Let me see your hands. All right, looks like many of us. So this dream has something for us here tonight, 2015. Well, what was that dream that King Nebuchadnezzar had? Well, we have an animation on our screen that will help us to visualize. You can read this later in the Bible. This is Daniel 2. It says, You, O king, were watching, and behold, a great image. This great image, whose splendor was excellent, stood before you, and its form was awesome. This image's head was of fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, its belly and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. You watched while a stone was cut out without hands, which struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold were crushed together and became like chaff from the summer threshing floors. The wind carried them away so that no trace of them was found, and the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. That was Daniel 2, 31 to 35. Put it in your notes tonight. Daniel 2, 31 to 35. Fascinating dream. Daniel then said, this is the dream. Daniel 2, verse 36. Now, Father, if I just got through telling you what you dreamed last night, would you be amazed? I would be impressed. I'd think maybe you had some supernatural power. So here Daniel says, this is what you dreamed. He spoke with confidence because he spoke for God. I think if I had been in Daniel's shoes that morning, I probably would have said to the king, uh, w was that it? Did I get it right? Not Daniel. He spoke with confidence because he spoke for God. And the king recognized that that was what he had seen the night before. Now, the question, of course, is what does it mean? If you had been there with Daniel and those watching, those listening in Nebuchadnezzar's palace that morning, what would your question have been? Daniel, what's it mean? What's this metallic man with a golden head, chest and arms of silver, midsection of brass, legs of iron, standing on clay and iron feet? What does that all symbolize? And what about that rock that comes and smashes down the image? What does it mean? Well, Father, shall we guess and speculate? Well, some people think, well, prophecy is just guesswork. It's your interpretation or somebody else's interpretation. Since God revealed this to Daniel, we know that God has the correct interpretation. And we're going to read it here from the Bible. 2,500 years ago, God, through the prophet Daniel, said, You are this head of gold. So now we have our answer. The golden head represents the kingdom of Babylon. Golden head, symbol of Nebuchadnezzar and his kingdom of Babylon. How long did Babylon rule? Babylon ruled from 605 to 539 B.C., which was only about 66 years. Now, what's amazing, it was a golden kingdom. In fact, one temple, the Temple of Marduk there in Babylon, 300 feet high. Outside, it was covered with blue glazed tile, but inside, it was plated with gold. In fact, inside that one temple, it contained eight. 18 tons of gold, eight and a half tons, just in the altar and throne alone. 
It's been estimated that there are over 200 gold-domed temples inside the walls of Babylon. Babylon was a golden empire. They used gold like we use concrete today in Babylon. And Babylon also had the famous Hanging Gardens, which was one of the wonders of the ancient world. And the river Euphrates flowed right through the center of the city of Babylon, providing an eternal supply of water. The wall of Babylon, archaeologists estimate, was something like 30 meters wide and could have been up to 100 meters high. They actually had chariot races on top of the city walls. That would be sort of like having a North Luzon expressway on top of your city wall. There was no weapon back then that could conquer a city like Babylon. And Nebuchadnezzar thought Babylon would last forever. In fact, the archaeologists dug up this tablet in the ruins of Babylon, inscribed by Nebuchadnezzar with these words, May it, that's Babylon, last forever. Well, son, did Babylon last forever? Well, no, not quite, because Babylon only ruled for 66 years from 605 to 539 B.C., And then the Bible says in Daniel 2.39, After you shall arise another kingdom inferior to you. So these medals represent kingdoms by the Bible's own interpretation. First, we have the kingdom of Babylon, the head of gold. And who knows what kingdom conquered the ancient kingdom of Babylon? That was the kingdom of Medo-Persia. Just as silver is inferior to gold, so the next kingdom, Medo-Persia, would be inferior to Babylon, a silver kingdom. But the question is how? How, son, did they get through those massive walls? How did the Medo-Persians conquer Babylon? Well, Bible prophecy actually foretold exactly how it would happen 150 years before it happened and even named the man who would do the job. Let's read it from Isaiah 45, verse 1. If you're taking notes, Isaiah 45, 1 says, Thus says the Lord to his anointed, to Cyrus, whose right hand I have held, to subdue nations before him. And I will loose the loins of kings to open before him the two-leaved gates, the double doors, and the gates shall not be shut. Here's what happened that night. They were actually having a, a fiesta. You can read it in Daniel chapter 5. While the Medo-Persian armies were surrounding the city of Babylon, they had a fiesta. They were so confident inside their city. And they had lots of alcohol, no doubt, and the soldiers got drunk. Now, you understand that Babylon was built right over the river Euphrates. You can see here in the painting, the river Euphrates flowed right down through the heart of Babylon. And what Medo-Persia did. Cyrus instructed his soldiers to dry up or divert the river Euphrates. And when the water went down, it was actually nighttime, the night of the fiesta. When the water went down in the riverbed, the Medo-Persian armies marched underneath the outer wall and came up inside the city. But there was a wall on each side of the river. However, The Babylonians were so confident and so drunk, they left the gates open, exactly like the prophecy foretold. And today, a record of that can be found in the British Museum. Cyrus Cylinder, the rock record, the stone record of how Cyrus conquered Babylon. So the silver then in the metallic image 
was a symbol of Medo-Persia. Medo-Persia ruled, for those of you taking notes, from 539 to 331 B.C. We're counting down, of course, in B.C. Then, 2,500 years ago, Daniel 2, verse 39, it says, and, after, and, and another third, third what? Kingdom. Another third kingdom of brass, which shall bear rule over how much? All the earth. These are world-ruling superpowers of the past. First Babylon, then Medo-Persia. Then there's this third kingdom. Anybody know what was that third kingdom? That was Greece. Under the leadership of the mighty general, Alexander the Great, the Grecians conquered large portions of the world back then. They went all the way over to India, history tells us. The historian says this about Alexander the Great. He says, I am persuaded that there was no nation, city, nor people where his name did not reach. There seems to me to have been some divine hand presiding both over his birth and actions. A divine hand controlling the events of this world. We might not know why certain things happen, but we can be sure that there is a divine hand in control. And the question for us tonight, personally, is that divine hand guiding my life? Is it guiding your life? Is God guiding your life? He wants to. In fact, the Bible tells us in Isaiah 58, 11, mark it down. Isaiah 58, 11, and the Lord shall guide thee, how often? Continually. Continually. There is no greater joy than surrendering all your choices to God. God can guide your life. He wants to if you'll let him. But coming back now to Greece. Greece was known for the bronze, just like Babylon was known for it's gold, and Medo-Persia was known for its silver. Greece was known for bronze. They used bronze weapons, bronze armor. Over 200 years before Greece ever ruled, the Bible foretold it by name in Daniel 8, verse 21, if you're taking notes. Amazing prophecy that God foretold Greece 200 years before it ruled. Greece ruled from 331 to 168 B.C., here we are coming right down through the ages. You didn't know that the Bible was a history book, but this was written before history happened. 2,500 years ago, God outlined this. And looking back, we can see that history followed the outline. Let's now turn our attention to the legs, the legs of iron. We're going to read from Daniel 2, verse 40. Daniel 2, verse 40, the Bible says, And the fourth kingdom... Shall be strong as iron, for as much as the iron breaks in pieces and subdues all these things, all things, and as iron that breaks all these, shall it break in pieces and bruise. This is the fourth kingdom. Who can tell us? What was that fourth universal kingdom? The iron monarchy. That was Rome. Rome. Rome was that fourth kingdom, and just as the legs are the longest part of the body, so Rome ruled for the longest time period. For over 500 years, Rome was not, no one was able to conquer Rome. She ruled back then. Her flags wave from the British Isles to the Arabian Gulf, from the North Sea to the Sahara Desert, from the Atlantic to the Euphrates. Rome ruled the world. And Rome was ruling when Jesus came to this world. 
You can see from our painting here the Roman soldiers with their iron. Rome was known for its iron. Jesus was condemned by a Roman governor, crucified by Roman soldiers on a Roman cross. Roman soldiers divided his clothes. Roman soldiers guarded his tomb. It was a Roman seal placed on his tomb. Of course, we know it was the Pharisees that had instigated all this. But Rome was the one ruling them. However, when Jesus died on the cross, it was as if he split all history. B.C. Before before Christ. A.D. Anno Domini. Anno Domini in the year of our Lord. Jesus really is at the center of prophecy. He is the center of history and the theme of prophecy. You can't study Bible prophecy without seeing Jesus. Jesus Christ. Revelation starts out a revelation of Jesus Christ. Of Jesus Christ. And we see right in the middle of history Jesus, the one who paid the penalty for our sins. And the good news is Jesus is not a mystery. That's right. He we're, is the Messiah. We're studying the mysteries of prophecy tonight, but Jesus is not a mystery. At least I hope he's not a mystery for you. You can accept him as your personal Savior. But let's come back now to those iron legs. Rome. Rome ruled from 168 B.C. all the way down to the 4th century A.D. Now, my question, son, what kingdom would conquer Rome? Well, we know from history that Rome was not conquered by a fifth great empire. Rome was divided into different parts. And so in order for this prophecy to be correct, it would have to picture a division of the Roman Empire. Let's see how it did that in Daniel 2, verse 41. Daniel 2, 41 says, And whereas thou sawest the feet and toes, part of potter's clay and part of iron, the kingdom shall be what? Shall be what? We know that's true looking back. God predicted this before it happened 2,500 years ago. The kingdom shall be divided, but there shall be in it of the strength of the iron, for as much as thou sawest the iron mixed with miry clay. Divided into how many parts, son? Well, how many toes do you have? I have ten. I have ten toes. Into how many parts was Rome divided? Ten parts. That's the amazing thing. So here we have a map of those original ten divisions of the Roman Empire. And you can see the Alamanni are today the Germans, Burgundians are the Swiss, Franks are the French, Lombards are the Italians, Saxons are the English, Suevi are the Portuguese, and the Visigoths are the Spanish. And of course, three no longer exist, the Heruli, Vandals, and Ostrogoths. Prophecy actually tells us why. We'll see later. What's amazing, seven of those original ten kingdoms that divided up the Roman Empire still exist today. And there's something else interesting, son. The prophecy we're looking at tonight holds the key as to where the Antichrist will come from. I don't know if you've heard about the Antichrist. That's a prophetic study we'll look at later in our series. And this prophecy holds the key to where he comes from. Something else interesting. As you look at this metallic man, you notice that the value of the metals goes down. But while the value decreases, what happens to the strength of the metals? 
increases. The strength actually increases. Gold is the most valuable metal, but it's the softest. Iron is the least valuable, but it's the strongest. So while the value goes down, the strength goes up. Very interesting. Let's take a more careful look at those feet of iron and clay. Daniel chapter 2, verse 43. The Bible says, Daniel 2, 43, and whereas you saw the f- uh, whereas you saw iron mixed with miry clay, they shall mingle themselves with the seed of men, but they shall not cleave one to another, even as iron is not mixed with clay. What does that mean, son? They shall mingle themselves with the seed of men. Well, that sounds like intermarriage. And if we were to go back in the history of Europe, a couple of hundred years or so, we would find that many of the monarchs were united in marriage, trying to form alliances to reunite the European empire. But it never worked because the Bible said they shall not cleave one to another, even as iron is not mixed with clay. Daniel 2 verse 43, you're not going to be able to weld them together. Before I started preaching... I used to be a welder, and I've welded all sorts of metals, but I have never welded iron to clay. (laughs) You can't do that. And the Bible predicted it wouldn't happen. But, son, have there been people that tried to reunite the Roman Empire or reunite Europe? Well, yes, there definitely has been. Napoleon, he tried and he failed. In fact, at the Battle of Waterloo, it rained so hard that all his artillery got stuck. And historians say it appeared that God himself was fighting against Napoleon. Napoleon failed at the Battle of Waterloo. You know something that's interesting, son? A Christian minister came to Napoleon when he was conquering. It looked like he would conquer all of Europe. And read to him the prophecy of Daniel 2 that we just looked at tonight. And this minister told Napoleon... Based on the word of God, I predict you'll never conquer all of Europe. You know what Napoleon said? What did he say, son? Well, he said, not even God himself can stop me. Well, you can see that God stopped Napoleon. And even historians tell us it seemed that God was fighting against Napoleon. God had said, They shall not cleave one to another. Have there been any others that tried to reunite the ancient Roman Empire? Yes, there have been others. We know that Hitler tried also, and he failed. Why? Because the Bible said what? They shall not cleave cleave one to another. After Hitler came communism. And it looked like for a while that all of Europe would become communist. But then the USSR fell apart. The end of the USSR, Russia was reborn. We had the privilege, our family, my son was just a baby, when we first went to the former Soviet Union to preach the gospel. And people would come by the hundreds, thousands to hear God's word and to hear the very prophecy that you're hearing tonight and to see how it has been fulfilled. The Bible said, what did it say? Let's read it all together tonight. But But they they shall shall not cleave cleave one to to another. another. Even Even as iron iron is not not mixed mixed with clay. Well, that leaves us with this question, Father. What's the future of the EU? Well, now you know. They might get together, but they're not going to stick together. You'll never get all of Europe to unite under one government because the Bible said, what did it say? They They shall shall not cleave cleave one to another, another, even even as as iron is not not mixed mixed with with clay. clay. Let's review what we've learned tonight, son. The head of gold represents what kingdom? 
Babylon. Babylon. How about the chest and arms of silver? What did that symbolize? Medo-Persia. Medo-Persia. What about the midsection of brass? Greece. Symbol of Greece. And the legs of iron represented what kingdom? Rome. Symbol of Rome. How about the feet of clay and iron? What did that represent? Divided Europe. Is there anything else to this prophecy? There's one more event to this prophecy, and that is the coming of the rock. But first, let me back up and mention, you just are looking at 2,500 years of history written in advance. The Bible's the only book that's done that, revealed history in advance. There's only one more event to take place, and that is the coming of the rock. Let's go read about that. From Daniel 2, 44 and 45. It says in Daniel 2, 44, And in the days of these kings, what kings would that be? Well, this would be after the attempts to reunite Europe through intermarriage, after the attempts to reunite Europe through conquest, after Napoleon, after Hitler, after communism. This would apparently be in the days of modern Europe, divided Europe. In the days of these kings shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed. And the kingdom shall not be left to other people, but it shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms. That's the kingdoms we looked at tonight. And it shall stand how long? Forever. It shall stand forever. Verse 45 says, For as much as you saw the stone was cut out, of the mountain without hands, and that it break in pieces the iron, the brass, the clay, the silver, and the gold, the great God has made known to the king what shall come to pass hereafter. And the dream is certain, certain. and the interpretation sure. sure. And we, we know that looking back over history. That's right. But this was written 2,500 years before. One more event. Coming of the rock. What does that rock represent, son? Well, the rock is a symbol of Christ and his eternal kingdom. You can read 1 Corinthians 10, 4, Isaiah 28, 16. The rock is a symbol of Jesus and his kingdom. And there's people who sing the song. You might have heard of the Christian hymn, Rock of Ages. So the rock then represents Christ's return, Christ's coming kingdom. Apparently, we are living in the Latter days. But are we really living in the last days? Nostradamus said the world would end in 3959. Well, if that's true, we're a long ways away from the latter days. No, we know that that's not true. Nostradamus missed it on that prophecy. We know that based on the events we're seeing happening around us in this very in the very era we're living, we know that we are living in the last days of history. In fact, many secular people, non-religious people, believe we're living in the latter days or the last days. Take, for example, some of the signs that we're living in the last days. Earthquakes. Back a long time ago, you can see from our graph, there weren't very many earthquakes and there weren't very many big ones. But recently, there's been a huge upsurge of great earthquakes. In fact, did you know, son, that between 2004 and 2014, magnitude 8.0 earthquakes and higher have gone up 265%. That's just in the last decade. Not only earthquakes, we have great storms. 
And the worst storm that ever made landfall was right here in the Philippines. We are seeing signs indicating that we are in the latter days. But actually, my friends, this prophecy provides us hope for our future. We can see that just as Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, Rome, Rome was divided, just as surely as that happened, we know that Christ will soon come to set up an eternal kingdom. And in Christ's kingdom, there won't be any more pain there. There won't be any more death there. There won't be any more sorrow, any more poverty, any more bad things in Christ's kingdom. Jesus wants you to be a citizen of his eternal kingdom. Jesus promised he would come back. Let's read that promise from John 14, 1 through 3. Put that in your notes tonight. John 14, verses 1 through 3 says, Let not your heart be troubled. Don't be worried. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will... Come again. I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. And we know based on this prophecy that that event, Jesus' coming, is very, very soon. The rock is coming. Jesus is about to come back. The last event, the coming of the rock, is very near. Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled. I go to prepare a place for you. And Jesus wants to prepare you for that place, for his eternal kingdom. I want to be a citizen of that kingdom, don't you? How many want to be a citizen of that kingdom? May I see your hands? Yes. There is hope for you. The head of gold has passed away. There is hope for you. Persia and Greece have had their day. There is hope for you. From Rome we move to iron and clay. But... There is hope in Christ for you. There is hope for you. We are in the latter days. There is hope for you. Daniel's prophecy does sure amaze. There is hope for you. The rock will soon set the skies ablaze. So there is hope in Christ for you. Yes, and that's why we have called this series Prophecies of Hope. We see many signs indicating that we are in the last days. But there is hope for your future. Amen? Amen. There is hope for each of us. Let's end our presentation tonight with a prayer and thank God for that hope. And I'm going to invite you to stand with us as we conclude with a prayer. Don't forget, tomorrow night, 7 o'clock, our topic will be Dinosaurs Prove the Bible True. And you'll want to take advantage of Health Expo. Screening will be at starting at 5 o'clock. Health Expo Lecture will be at 6.30. And if you haven't yet dropped off your ticket at our registration table to get your free handout for tonight, then you can do that on your way out. Let's pray. Our dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the hope we have in Jesus' return, soon return, We want to be ready for that eternal kingdom. So we pray that each one here would be a part of your kingdom. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. 
This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.